Anti-creationists, such as atheists by definition, commonly object that creation is religion and evolution is science. To defend this claim, they will cite a list of criteria that define a, quote, good scientific theory. A common criterion is that the bulk of modern-day practicing scientists must accept it as valid science. Another criterion defining science is the ability of a theory to make predictions that can be tested. Evolutionists commonly claim that evolution makes many predictions that have been found to be correct. They will cite something like antibiotic resistance in bacteria as some sort of prediction of evolution, whereas they question the value of the creationist model in making predictions. Since, they say, creation fails their definition of science. It is therefore religion, and by implication, it can simply be ignored. It's Not Science by Don Batten Many attempts to define science are circular. The point that a theory must be acceptable by contemporary scientists to be acceptable basically defines science as what scientists do. In fact, under this definition, economic theories would be acceptable scientific theories if contemporary scientists accepted them as such. In many cases, these so-called definitions of science are blatantly self-serving and contradictory. A number of evolutionary propagandists have claimed that creation is not scientific because it is supposedly untestable. But in the same paragraph they will claim, quote, Scientists have carefully examined the claims of creation science and found that ideas such as the young earth and global flood are incompatible with the evidence. But obviously, creation cannot have been examined, that is, tested, and found to be false if it's, quote, untestable. The definition of what we call science has haunted philosophers of science in the 20th century. The approach of Bacon, who is considered the founder of the scientific method, was pretty straightforward. First, you have the observation. This leads to the induction and then the hypothesis, which leads to testing the hypothesis by experiment, which leads to the proof or disproof, which concludes with knowledge. Of course, this and the whole approach to modern science depends on two major assumptions, causality and induction. The philosopher Hume made it clear that these are believed by blind faith. That's Bertrand Russell's own words. Kant and Whitehead claimed to have solved the problem, but Russell recognized that Hume was right. Actually, these assumptions arose from faith in the creator God of the Bible, as historians of science like Lauren Isley have recognized. Many scientists are so philosophically and theologically ignorant that they don't even realize that they have these and other metaphysical assumptions. Being like a frog in the warming water, Notice that there are philosophical assumptions at the root of much that passes as science. It's part of their own worldview, so they don't even notice. We at Creation Ministries International are upfront about our acceptance of revelation, 
that the revelation we're talking about is the Bible. Unlike many atheists, we recognize that a philosophy of life does not come from that data, but rather the philosophy is brought to the data and used in interpreting it. The important question is not, is it science? One can just define science to exclude everything that one doesn't like, as many evolutionists do today. Today, science is equated with naturalism. Only materialistic notions can be entertained, no matter what the evidence. The prominent evolutionist professor Richard Lewinton said, We take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories, because we have a prior commitment, a, a commitment to materialism. It is not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world, but on the contrary, that we are forced by our a priori adherence to material causes to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanations, no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. Moreover, that materialism is absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. Now, that's open-minded, isn't it? Isn't science about following the evidence wherever it may lead? This is where the religion, in the broadest sense, of the scientist puts the blinkers on. Our individual worldviews bias our perceptions. The atheist paleontologist Stephen Jay Gould made the following candid observation. Our ways of learning about the world are strongly influenced by the social preconceptions and biased modes of thinking that each scientist must apply to any problem. The stereotype of a fully rational and objective scientific method, with individual scientists as logical and interchangeable robots, is self-serving mythology. So the fundamental important question is, which worldview bias is correct, because this will likely determine what conclusions are permitted to be drawn from the data. For example, if looking at the origin of life, a materialist will tend to do everything possible to avoid the conclusion that life must have been supernaturally created. Of course, the founders of modern science were not materialists. Sir Isaac Newton, widely considered the greatest scientist ever, is a prime example. And they did not see their science as somehow excluding a creator, or even making the creator redundant. See the Biblical Roots of Modern Science article, A Christian Worldview, and in particular a plain understanding of Scripture and Adam's Fall, was essential to the rise of modern science. You'll find that article in the show notes. This recent notion has been smuggled into science by materialists. Michael Ruse a Canadian philosopher of science also made the strong point that the issue is not whether evolution is science and creation is religion, because such a distinction is not really valid. The issue is one of coherency of truth. For this, look in the show notes for the religious nature of evolution. In other words, there is no logically valid way that the materialist can define evolution as science and creation as religion 
so that he or she can ignore the issue of creation. However, we can make a valid distinction between different types of science. The distinction between origin science and operational science. Operational science involves discovering how things operate in today's world, repeatable and observable phenomena in the present. This is the science of Newton, Einstein, and Planck, for example. However, origin science deals with the origins of things in the past, unique, unrepeatable, unobservable events. This is also why it could be called historical science. There is a fundamental difference between how the two work, even though both are called science, and operational science does have implications for origins or historical science. Operational science involves repeatable experimentation in the here and now. Origin science deals with how something came into existence in the past and so is not open to experimental verification, observations. Oh, well, that is unless someone invents a time machine to travel back into the past to observe. Of course, it suits many materialists to confuse operational and origin science. Although, I'm sure with most, the confusion arises out of ignorance. Tertiary courses at colleges and universities in science mostly don't teach the philosophy of science, and certainly make no distinction between experimental and operational sciences and historical origins sciences. Both evolution and creation fall into the category of origin science. Both are driven by philosophical considerations. The same data, observations in the present, are available to everyone, but different interpretations, that's the stories we tell ourselves about the evidence, are devised to explain what happened in the past. Note that this distinction between operational science and evolution is not an invention of creationists. High-profile evolutionists such as Ernst Mayer and E.O. Wilson both acknowledged this distinction. The inclusion of historical science, without distinction as science science, has undoubtedly contributed to the modern confusion over defining science. This also explains the statement by Gould, which we mentioned earlier, who as a paleontologist would have liked there to have been no distinction between his own historical science and experimental science. Gould rightly saw the paramount importance of presuppositions in his own science and assumed that it applied equally to all science. This is not so, although some presuppositions play an important role in operational science. Creationists have absolutely no problem with operational science because the evidence drives operational science. It does not matter if you are a Christian, a Muslim, a Hindu, or an atheist, Pure water still boils at 100 degrees Celsius at sea level. However, the true Hindu might still think that it is an illusion, and some atheists embracing postmodernism espouse that truth is an illusion. However, origin science is driven by philosophy. One's belief system is fundamental to what stories one accepts as plausible. Now, if the majority of practitioners of origin's historical science have the wrong belief system, that's materialism as their foundation, then the stories they find acceptable will also be wrong. So, a majority vote of contemporary scientists is hardly a good way to determine the validity of their respective stories. And origin science, 
or historical science, is essentially an exercise in storytelling. Lewinton alluded to the storytelling in his quote earlier. James Conant, past president of Harvard University, made the point quite forcibly with a scathing assessment of the inventive scenarios that often characterize historical science. If you want to dive into this more deeply, look down in the show notes for naturalism. Now, in pointing out that presuppositions drive what stories are acceptable in historical science, I am not saying that it is merely or solely a matter of those philosophical religious assumptions. The stories still have to account for the evidence in a coherent manner. That is, the stories provided can often be tested according to the evidence. For example, the claim that coal-bearing geological strata were laid down over many millions of years is flatly contradicted by the evidence of polystrate tree fossils, with their roots broken off and traversing those strata. How did they stand there for millions of years while the layers of deposits built up around them, and all without rotting away? There are many facts that contradict that evolutionary story. If the same data could be consistently interpreted in two entirely different ways, then Romans chapter 1 would have no basis for saying that people have no excuse for denying that things were created by God, because it is clear from the physical evidence. We can speak of what we will call a coherency of truth as a test, that a truthful account of history will give a coherent, logically consistent account of the evidence. It also suits materialists to shift the definition of evolution to suit the argument. Let's be clear that we are discussing the general theory of evolution, which was defined by the evolutionist Kirkut as a theory that all the living forms in the world have arisen from a single source, which itself came from an inorganic form. Many, perhaps inadvertently, perform this switching definition's trick in alluding to mutations in bacteria as corroborating evolution. This has nothing to do with demonstrating the validity of the belief that hydrogen changed into humans over billions of years. The key difference is that the general theory of evolution requires not just change, but change that substantially increases the information content of the biosphere. Many evolutionists claim mutations and antibiotic resistance in bacteria, which belong in operational science as being some sort of prediction of evolution, which is an origin science. In fact, genetics, which is operational, was an embarrassment to evolution, which could have been a factor in Mendel's pioneering genetics research going unrecognized for so many years. Mendel's discovery of discrete genes did not fit Darwin's idea of continuous unlimited variation. When mutations were discovered, these were seen as a way of reconciling Darwinism with the observations of operational science, hence the neo-Darwinian synthesis of Mayer, Haldane, Fisher, and others. What about the predictions of evolution versus creation? The track record of evolution is pretty dismal. See how evolution harms science in the show notes. On the other hand, modern science rides on the achievements of past creationists. For one clear example of modern-day scientific predictions based on a creationist model, see the article Beyond Neptune, Voyager 2 Supports Creation. Many predictions of evolutionary theory have been found to be incompatible with observations, and yet, evolution reigns. 
For example, there is the profound absence of the many millions of transitional fossils that should exist if evolution were true. The very pattern of the fossil record flatly contradicts evolutionary notions of what it should be like. See, for example, the links are missing article. The evolutionist Gould wrote at length on this conundrum. Contrary to evolutionists' expectations, none of the cases of antibiotic resistance, insecticide resistance, and others that have been studied at a biochemical level, that is, operational science, have involved origin of new complex genetic information. In fact, evolutionists never predicted antibiotic resistance because historically, it took the medical field by surprise. See anthrax and antibiotics is evolution relevant article. Contrary to evolutionists' expectations, breeding experiments reach limits. Change is not unlimited. See the article by the creationist geneticist Lane Lester. This matches with what we would expect from Genesis chapter 1, where it says that God created organisms to reproduce true to their different kinds. Another failed evolutionary prediction is that of junk DNA. Evolutionists long claimed that 98% of the human DNA is junk, leftovers of our supposed evolutionary ancestry. Now, this has hindered the discovery of the function of this DNA, now known to be at least 80% functional and probably 100% functional. Now, on the other hand, evolutionists expected that, given the right conditions, a living cell could make itself. This is called abiogenesis. Creationists said that this was impossible. Operational science has destroyed this evolutionary notion. So much so that evolutionists now want to leave the origin of life out of the debate. Many propagandists claim that evolution does not include this, although the theories of abiogenesis are usually called chemical evolution. See the article Origin of Life for an explanation of the many profound problems for any conceivable evolutionary scenario. Now, note, claiming fulfilled predictions as proof of a hypothesis is known as the fallacy of affirming the consequent. However, if a prediction is falsified, it amounts to formal disproof of the proposition. So evolution has been formally disproved with multiple failed predictions. So, why do evolutionists persist with their spurious theory? For many, it's because they have never heard anything else. For avowed materialists, it's the only game in town, the only materialistic story available to explain how everything came to be. It's the materialist's creation myth. It's a bit like the proverbial ostrich putting its head in the sand, thinking that all that exists is what it can see under the sand. The ostrich's worldview excludes everything that it does not find convenient. In the darkness of the sand, all unacceptable facts cease to exist. The persistence of evolutionary thinking in the face of so much contradictory evidence indicates that the philosophical presupposition of materialism, that is, atheism, is being permitted to trump the facts. The paradigm has priority, no matter what the evidence because the secularist cannot allow a divine foot in the door. Jesus Christ came as the light of the world, the book of John 8:12, when the second person of the Trinity took on human nature, 
See the incarnation, why did God become man article in the show notes. He came to shed the light of God in dark places. The greatest darkness is to live without God, to live as if you are a cosmic accident, just rearranged pond scum, as one evolutionist has put it. Sadly, many are being duped into thinking that way, and we are seeing the horrendous consequences in escalating youth suicide, drug problems, family breakup, violence, and other problems in society. How much we need the light of Jesus to shine. God will hold each one of us accountable. All of us deserve his condemnation. But the Bible says that he provided a way of escape through Jesus Christ for all that turn to God, humbly admitting our need for forgiveness. In 1978, there were few resources for Christians who wanted to defend their belief in biblical creation. So at that time, Carl Wieland founded Creation Magazine, which would eventually become the most widely read creation publication in the world. To celebrate 40 years of cutting edge creation content, we collected articles from across the history of this groundbreaking publication, some with important updates into a full-color coffee-table-style book titled Defending Genesis. Some of the articles address the following. Archaeopteryx. Is it a transitional form of evolving dinosaur into bird or just a true flying bird? Another topic. Amazing motorized germs that show evolution is impossible. And for another, does the Bible really teach that the earth is 6,000 years old? And another, Jesus Christ is our creator. What did he believe about origins? So take a journey through the history of Creation Magazine with Defending Genesis. Get this great book at creation.com store. I am Joseph Darnell. From all of us at creation.com, thanks for listening.